Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. This party's started. We're, we're doing this thing. I've got my cold brew. I'm excited to introduce you all to today's guest. She is an absolute badass. Well, who is she, Casey? Tell us about her. Well, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that right now because she is, and I had a chance to hang out with her at an event recently, and it was just such a great event, which we're going to get into. I don't want to spoil it, um, but she is, a, she is a marketing leader and thought leader, uh, specialty in the B2B world. Marketing doula, if we might say, and we'll talk a little bit more about what that means. But any of you who have kids immediately go, oh, yeah, I need that. Um, and she is also a peak community board member, a high alpha innovation advisor, VP of marketing at GTM Partners, Sarah Allen Short. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for being here. This is so cool. I, I'm so excited we get to chat, we get to hang out. So with that, I'm going to Shut my mouth over here and pass you this thing. It's heavy, though, for me at least. So hold on a second. <laughs> okay, oh, wow. here you go. That's Thor's hammer. Go ahead, take that. All right, you got it. Oh wow, yeah, nice grip. Okay, okay. So take Thor's hammer and smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Set the record straight once and for all. I think I was thinking about this, and I think the one that I want to smash is that the marketing job with the best title and the most amount of money is always the one you should take. It's not. Mm. It's not. It's not. Man, we get lured into that. The sometimes, idea of most money. Sometimes. What's that? Sometimes it's the one you should take, but often it's not the one you should take. God. Well, I mean, what's happening there? We're. It, it seems to be checking off all the boxes, but in the end, we get tricked. Yeah, but well, it's not checking off all the boxes. It's checking off two of the boxes. It's checking off right. the boxes of, you know, title and compensation. And I, I think people, those are two important boxes. Those are two important boxes for a lot of us. But I think I have learned in a, in a career of, I guess, 25-ish years of working now, um, since college, that there are so many other things that are much more important. And I think that we get really, we get seduced by all we, or, or we get, I guess we get trapped by the idea that we always have to be moving up in title, that we always have to be making more money. And, and I think I want to balance this with saying, I think women can undervalue themselves and that women shouldn't take a lesser title or less money for no good reason. But I think that there are good reasons to do it. And I, my basic philosophy is that life is really long and good people are going to find their way to good jobs. And you don't have to always be moving ahead, which I realize is counter to what everybody else says. And so maybe that's why I feel like it's important to say it for people listening that are in a point in their life when it isn't making sense for them. It's okay. Lean out. Lean out. Okay. We heard it here first, everyone. Lean out. Lean out. Let's dive into it. what what is happening when we get caught up in this movement where only some of the boxes are getting checked and we're just so caught up in push, 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 lean in, lean in, lean in. Well, it's just scarcity mindset. It's it's the fear that you're not going to have enough that if you don't take the promotion now, you'll never get it again. That if people, I mean, I, I talk to people literally every week that are like, I just, I, there's this job and it has a better title, but I think the CEO sucks, or I think I'm not going to enjoy it, but I think I should take the better title because, you know, it's just this fear that you're never going to get another chance or that if you're, if you have a VP title and you take a director title at a bigger company, that someone in the future is going to be like, why did you do this? And they're going to cross, I mean, you know, uh, cross examine you. And I think just find somebody like me and practice the answer and you'll be fine. And I know, I know a number of people that have taken quote unquote steps back in their career. And I mean, 
this isn't really my story, honestly, but I, I know a number of people that have done it and are so much happier and or have taken a temporary step back and then leaped forward later. I just think there's a lot of things to think about in your career other than just the title and the money. Now, that's a position of privilege, right? To be able to say that the money doesn't matter as much. I am speaking as someone, um, I am married, but my husband's been a stay-at-home dad for 15 years. And so I've been the sole income earner. So I understand, you know, that there are money pressures, but, and I understand, yeah, I understand there are money pressures, but I also think that sometimes you're talking about, you know, the difference between some, some people who are really struggling with this are talking about the difference between being able to go on vacation at the beach versus the vacation in Europe and still a vacation. The other 360 days of the year, I don't know. Maybe the beach is okay. And maybe the beach is on Prince Edward Island and it's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, and again, I mean, have, I, your podcast yeah. is for marketing leaders. Like I recognize right. this is extreme privilege. Like I'm not talking about people who are really, you know, scraping, scraping, scraping. I'm assuming that you, you have your basic standards, standard of living met, you know, when I'm bringing up this point. Right. So, so there, but there comes a point, right? And I think there's even been studies where, you know, a certain amount of money is a certain amount of money and then your happiness actually doesn't increase afterwards. So, so there is a point where you may be chasing something that is not actually going to solve whatever that feeling is you have inside. It might actually detract from it. Have you, I mean, have you, you mentioned this was not necessarily your story, but like, have you experienced what happens one way or the other? Well, I would say the career path part isn't my experience. I haven't sort of taken a demotion, but the choosing a, a, a job that I love and feel fulfilled over money absolutely is my experience. And I'll tell you a specific story about, I want to say four or five years ago, I'm trying to remember exactly when it was, I was offered a VP of marketing role at a, at, at, of a division of a public company that I had done some consulting work. And the person who mm. was leaving the role was leaving because she was miserable. And I knew this. And she said, listen, Sarah, take this job. You can hide out and do C plus work for the rest of your career. And you can make $300,000 a year, basically doing nothing. And I just instantly thought, and, and I have, you know, kids going to college, sole income earner. I mean, I'd be lying if I said there was part of it. I live in Richmond, so that's a lot of money here. That's a lot of money to make here in Richmond. Um, probably less for somebody in New York or San Francisco, but for, for me, it's a lot of money. And I'd be lying if I said I wasn't tempted. And I talked it over with my husband and I just was like, I didn't like the company. I didn't like the pace. I didn't like the CEO. I didn't like anything about it. And I just thought, and it was a, it was both a promotion and more money. And I turned it down to go make less money at a startup that I really, really believed in that was working on creating generosity in the workplace. And, um, I don't regret it at all. I would have been miserable there. I would have been miserable. I would have been miserable the whole year. And then I would have taken some really nice vacations and driven a really nice car. Not worth it right. to me. Right. You have to figure out, does that, does that balance out? And I think a lot of people live lives where 80, 90% of it, they absolutely hate it. And then they try to patch things up with, that other bit of time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, and again, like I know this is really, you know, a marketing podcast and we're really talking about sort of different issues than, than marketing strategies. But I would say find a job where you feel like you can make a difference in the organization. Find a job where, so I tend to think in, in terms of learning, being in learning mode versus being in mastery mode. And I think it's important to figure out which you want to be in at which stage in your career. For a long, long time, I said, I don't want a job if I know how to do more than 75% of it because I'll get bored. If I know, if I take a job where I am like completely confident, I know how to do 100% of the job, I'll get bored. I was in learning mode. I was in growth mode. I would take jobs or consulting gigs where I didn't totally 100% have it, you know, and I, there was a lot of room yeah. to grow. And I yeah. thought, I need to be always pushing, stretching, pushing. And I thought that's what I want my whole career. I've had the opportunity lately 
to do some work where I feel like I know how to do it. And being in mastery mode is a really different, it's different on a couple of fronts and it's just as exciting and just as fun, but in a different way. And so I would say, think about as you're, as you're choosing your career, there's lots of things to keep in mind other than just the money and the salary. Again, I don't mean to be underplaying the money and the salary. I'm just saying that I, I think, especially early in my leadership, I would have liked for someone to share with me that there were other things to consider. One is, I, I think you really need to consider the leadership of the company, specifically the CEO. My specialty is in startups. It's in B2B technology, SaaS. That's been where I've done most of my career. In startups, the CEO has an enormous influence on culture. And if you're working at a company where everything seems great, but the CEO seems a little off, that's, a, that's an enormous red flag. And you should, you should walk into that with your eyes wide open. I was just talking to uh, one of my mentees this week who has an opportunity with a company that she loves everything about. Everyone's telling her how flexible it is. And the CEO is asking her, how do you make sure everybody's working nine hours a day? And how do you track whether your employees are actually on Slack if their dot's not green? And I'm like, that is a huge red flag because it doesn't matter if the head of HR is telling you they have a flexible culture and you can take off to take your kid to the doctor. If the CEO is asking you, are you going to fire people who don't have a green dot all day? That's a, that's a big red flag. Um, I've done uh, interview processes where for a VP of marketing job, they didn't want me to meet the CEO. And I thought either I'm not going to be working closely with, in this case, him, which is unacceptable to me as a VP of marketing, or there's something that they don't want me to see before I take the job, which is also right. unacceptable. Right. So, I mean, I, I would say you need to spend some time with the CEO, even if you're not going to report to them. I would, my, my last job, I was hired by a COO, the COO left, I ended up reporting to the CEO. So, I mean, you need to, you need to be comfortable with the leadership specifically with the CEO. I think that's really important. You need to think about whether you want to be in learning mode or mastery mode. There are times in your career, it is okay to take a job. You know, I said before, I didn't want a job where I could do C plus work and phone it in. There could be times in your career when you, when you want that, when you, when that's truly really sure. okay, it's really okay. Just know that's what you're doing. Um, yeah. It's, it's almost like you, you put a priority somewhere else. And, and as long as you've been intentional about that, like, Hey, Maybe my family really needs me yeah. right now. That's right. You know, right. and so it's not about burning down, you know, the competition and everything. It's about doing good work and then going home and taking care of my parents or whatever you life, you know, um, whatever. But I think I, what I'm hearing is like, make sure you're making an intentional choice yeah. about what you're doing. That's right. There. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about another time I was working for a company. I was like seeing this was a. 10, 15 years ago, I was senior director. Um, but I knew the CEO really well and was really close with him and had an absolute inside track to the entire management team and was in on all the leadership calls and all that sort of thing. And we got oh. acquired by a bigger company. And I was trying to decide if I wanted to stay. Um, by the way, the bigger company um, was run by someone who was like a Saturday Night Live skit of a startup CEO. He wore, he rode a segue around the office. He was like just super buzzwordy and hip slick. I mean, it was, he was a contestant on the apprentice. That is a true story. Um, Oh dear God. So I was talking to the CEO of the, of the company and said, you know, I'm not sure if I want to stay with this company or not. And he said, look, I know you really well and you need to be in the room where it happens. You need to be able to influence company strategy and you're not going to be able to do this at this bigger company. And I didn't know that about myself yet. And he was a great mentor to me. And I, as soon as he said it, I realized it was true. As soon as he said it, I realized that if I was just in marketing down deep in some division and didn't have any ability to influence company strategy, I was going to get really bored really fast. And so what I learned is that I need to work for companies where I'm either going to have a position or they're of a size where I can really affect change, which is, again, why I didn't take that job as the VP of one division in a public company. Um, you know, not not the right thing for me. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I think you need to think about what kind of situation you want. 
Um, you need to think about if you care about, there are people who really care deeply about what kinds of products they're going to be marketing. Um, there are people who care more about the work. They could do it for any kind of product. Um, sure. I, I think there's so many considerations and it, it's worthwhile, even if you feel, I have been at times in my career where I think I felt really trapped and like I didn't have a lot of choices and a lot of options. I think it's worth the exercise to write down the things that you're looking for and the things that you care about. And I am not like a big fan of the secret of like manifesting your desires. If you just like want a sports car enough, you'll get one. I, so I'm not right. saying it from that perspective. I'm saying it from understanding yourself. It's sort of as like a realtor said to me once when you're house hunting, you should make a list of like the 20 things you want in a house and just understand you're not going to get all 20 of them, but you should know what they are. And then as you're looking you know, you'll start to see, well, this one, I said, I wanted a fireplace. This place doesn't have a fireplace, but I still really like it. It'll help you sort of figure out which you care about more than others. And so I, I, I think you might, I have had times when I felt like I have to take the job with more money. I have to do this. I have to do that. It's really helpful just to sort of get quiet and think about what's actually important to you. Is it flexibility? Is it, it could be, um, the relationship with your manager. It could be the relationship with the people on your team. It could be the product that you, the product or service that you're, that you're marketing. There's so many different considerations, I think, to think about other than just always you have to get a promotion. You always have to go to the next level. You know, as a, as a member of uh, the board of the Peak community, which is a fantastic marketing community, um, peak.community, if anybody's interested in checking it out, we do a lot of events about how to be a CMO, how to CM CMOs can be CEOs. And I've just had more and more conversations with people on the side that are like, what if I don't want to be a CMO? What if I'm happy being yeah. a director? What if I'm happy being a, a, a VP? And I, and I, you know, the executives that are out there today don't always make these jobs look super appealing. <laughs> and so that's something to think about too, if you are a leader is, you know, are you, are you making other people want to have the job that you have? Um, I think people feel like this inherent need to get ahead that is not driven internally. It's driven. It's not intrinsic. It's extrinsic. hundred percent. I've had that where my thing has been not being intentional about that list of once. Right. Not not taking one second just to go, what do I want out of this situation? And then adapting my way through only to realize I don't know where the, the goalpost is. I don't know what good is because I haven't taken the time to, or what is important because I haven't taken the time to figure out what I want. And so in that case, everything is OK in some way or shape or form. Uh, and then you find yourself in things you dislike or absolutely hate, but you you weren't thinking about it ahead of time. So you end up like in it. And I think that sort of like passive uh, way of going about things is definitely not the way to do it because you have no idea. Like you're rolling the dice to, to know if that job is right for you. And if, if you're, I think you're, you're absolutely right. And if you're settling, there could be really good reasons to settle and just admit it and understand it. And don't try to fool yourself that it's a dream job that's going to last forever be very right. clear eyed about I'm taking this job that, and I think there's some red flags. I'm taking the risk anyway, or I need to make more money now because of kids in school or taking care of aging parents or whatever. And so I'm going to take a job that's maybe a little more boring and a little less risky. Those are all legitimate choices, I think. But when you feel like you have some agency in the situation and like you're not being forced to do it, you're going to be happier. If you feel like I am choosing this subpar situation for very real valid reasons, that is a, a, a position of a lot more autonomy than like trying to convince yourself it's the best thing ever. And it's, it's a dream job when it's not. Right. And you mentioned the red flags and we talked about those a couple of times. And I had this thought that, you know, whether you're getting a job or hiring someone, the red flag, doesn't usually go away or you, you should try to, you should try to ask questions enough to get it to go away because 
those unresolved red flags almost always turn into the exact thing or reason why you're leaving or why you need to get a different candidate in that role. It, it, and so if you can discover those red flags, like actually listen to them, right? As opposed to being like, oh, look at that red flag, but I'm sure it's fine. Well, no, it's probably going to be the exact reason why you leave. I think that's exactly right. And I, it just reminds me so much of relationships. If I, if I ever get a second degree and write a book, I'm going to write a book about how, about the, some sort of, I, I obviously haven't figured this all out yet, but the, the, the similarity between like the therapy we do in families and the, and the things in companies. I think if you're someone who's drawn to visionary, dramatic people in your personal life, you're going to be drawn to visionary, dramatic people in your work life too. And for good and for bad and for all the things that that entails. And if you're someone who overlooks red flags in your personal life, if you're someone who plays the victim in your personal life, all of these things are going to be true in your work life as well. And I think we don't talk enough about the link between, I think all the time about like things I've learned in couples therapy, things I've think things I've learned about my kids in, in my work relation and how they can inform my work relationships. Um, but yeah, red flags, red flags are red flags. And I think some, no place is going to be perfect. And I have been guilty. I think of, over worrying about red flags that just turn out to be normal human frailties, you know, but for me, mm. I'm an external processor there. I think there are internal processes or an external processors. My husband has a thorny issue he's working on. He'll go and take a three hour walk with the dog and come back and be like, I have the answer. I'm an external processor. So I need to mm. talk about it with 10 people and I don't even need them to respond. But in the process of like me talking it out, I can talk through a red flag and figure out, is it really a red flag? I can talk through a job opportunity. Is it really, should I really be worried about it? Am I kind of blowing it up because of past, you know, I've been burned before kind of thing. And so know which one you are and make sure that you sure. build that into your process. If you need to talk to people, make sure you have people you can talk to personal and professional. And if you're an internal processor, make sure you give yourself some time and space to do that work too. Which one are you, Casey? Are you internal or external? I, I'm definitely the external, right? Like for me, oh, sh what should we do with these t-shirts? Um, yeah. I just need to start talking. You know, and one time I got asked a question in an interview, it was, it was hilarious. It was, um, calculate, you, know, you tell me or estimate for me the I've annual revenue of Starbucks. I've been asked a question like that before too. You know? Yeah, using this pencil and this paper, not your iPhone, right? And my brain is like, oh, I'm going to die. Uh, and then some part of my brain said, just start talking, right? Just start writing. And so I was like, oh, how many people in the United States? Uh, I don't know. And I started. And so then it was okay. I got I asked a question like, much how many lemons person. would you need to make lemonade for the state of California or something? And it was, an, it was a CMO coming into a job that I already had. And he was like getting to know us all. And he, and I was like, I hadn't heard of that type of question before. And he said later, you know, I was just trying to see how you think, like, how do you figure stuff out? Um, I did not, I didn't, I didn't like that question. He also told me to smile more. And I was like, have you been paying attention? You're not supposed to tell women to smile more. <laughs> That's not a thing that men say to women anymore, dude. And maybe I wasn't smiling because you asked me a exactly. really weird question, you know, like ask me, exactly. ask me good questions and I'll yeah. smile more. <laughs> Uh, so, so internal versus external. And then what's interesting is then if you're an external person and you try to process yeah. it with an internal person, that can be weird too. So understanding who the people are around you. I think it's really, I mean, the idea, we don't need to be talking about MQLs all the time, right? So I think it's really important on a marketing podcast to be talking about these, these critical things, right? Some, sometimes it, it isn't the fact that your mark your marketing technology didn't connect the CRM to the marketing on it? Maybe it was the fact that your CEO doesn't understand marketing. Maybe it's the fact that your teammates are you know a completely different culture. So I think these things are those to your point the the undersaid the the things that aren't spoken about but really need to be spoken about even more for that success. I mean, I remember being at a at a conference where they're like, "Look, we could tell you all how to do this like." CFO stuff, but really we need to fix yeah. you as a leader first. And then we, all the other tech will fall into place. All the other strategies will fall into place, but whatever weird 
anachronisms you have in your life, that's going to, you're going to reflect that on everyone on your team that yeah, if you I just sort so. of I running mean, I think crazy with your team. There's a million people that can talk about, you know, strategies and tactics and the five hacks for this and the five hacks for that. Um, I think since joining go-to-market partners, which is a, a go-to-market analyst firm, I'm definitely thinking more about the big picture. And one of the things that they say is you don't have a marketing problem. You don't have a sales problem. You don't have a customer success problem. You have a go-to-market problem. And I do think a lot of times marketing leaders and sales leaders in particular end up carrying the bag for a go-to-market problem. You can be the best sales leader in the world. And if your product isn't mature, you, you can't sell it. You can be the best marketing person in the world. And if your sales team isn't following up the right way, you know what? I don't even like to give that example because I feel like marketing and sales fight too much and I think they should be aligned. But um, the, 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 the issue is that there needs to be an executive driven go to market strategy that often marketing is driving, but um, it's not as simple as you have a marketing problem or you have a sales problem. And so, yeah, we can talk about, KPIs and MQLs and SQLs and ACV all day long. But I, I do think that sometimes we need to take a, a breath. There, there are so many people who have been laid off. And so I have to acknowledge that too, that there are people who really are feeling desperate and they're, they might be listening to this like, seriously, you don't want me to take the job with the best money and the best title. I'm going to take any job I can get, period. Like, I get that. I think, but I just think it might be a time, you know, you're, you're hearing about all of this, the great resignation. And then I would say also in our industry, the great layoff is probably, uh, people aren't talking about it, but it certainly seems frequent, um, in, in, in B2B SaaS and technology in particular. This is a time to take a, take a moment and just think about the, your career trajectory. Um, there's plenty of, plenty of places to learn about the tactics and the strategies. I mean, I, I guess what I would say is that I, someone told me once that career anxiety is like a toddler. You shouldn't lock it in the trunk, but you also shouldn't let it drive the car. You've got to, you've got, you can't shove it down and ignore it and pretend it's not there. It's a real thing you have to acknowledge, but it's also not, should not be running the show. Got it. So like quiet, quiet back down there. I'll get you a happy meal in a second. Exactly. You know, listen exactly. to your father. I'm taking care of you. Yeah. You're going to be taken care of, but you're not, you're not the, you're not running the show here. Right. That's exactly right. Any other, any other ways or thoughts we can, Only we humans. can lean out the right way and ensure that we're not inadvertently landing in the wrong place? I think I've basically covered it. I mean, I just think. Mm -hmm. So many of us are so used to grind culture and lean in and all of that stuff. And I just want people to question that. I, I've spent a lot of years in my career working full time, doing consulting, taking care of a family, you know, just just the scarcity mindset was really, really driving me. And I don't I don't regret it. I learned from it. But just take a breath, take a breath and figure out, you know, I we've all heard that story of like the if you put I, I'm not going to say it right if you have a bunch of rocks a bunch of pebbles and a bunch of sand and you fit them in a jar if you put the sand in first you'll never get everything in but if you put the rocks in first you can put the pebbles in second the sand yeah. in third you get it all in just figure out what your rocks are you know and if it's if it's career title and salary then do it but if it's not it's okay that it's not. I guess that's what I want to say. It's okay if that's not the most important thing to you. You can still be a kick-ass marketer. You can still be someone I would hire. You can still be someone with incredible passion and drive about your job and commitment. You don't have to be to be Sure, those things can marketer. be on your house hunting list. But as you weight them, it's it's probably dangerous to have it outweigh the other things. You know, it's like a cautionary tale. Have them on your list. Just be careful thinking that that's the only thing on your list, you know? Yeah. Well, where, where do you like to learn from? Yeah. I feel like you, yeah. you've collected a lot of experiences along the way, obviously, but, you know, staying up to date. Are there podcasts? Are there uh, books you've been reading lately that you're just a huge fan of? So I was thinking about this because you told me you were going to ask me this. I don't, I don't, yeah. this is part of my leaning out. I don't do a ton of work-related reading or podcasts. I will say on the podcast front, um, I really yeah, like um, Radical Candor, which is Kim Scott's 
podcast and talks a lot about management. I like Adam Grant's podcast. I worked for him for four years. Um, he has a podcast called uh, Rethinking, I think. Um, uh, he's got a couple. Sure. I forget the, the, he's got a couple of podcasts, but he's got Ted podcasts. Yeah. He's, he's an amazing leader. I worked for his company for four years and he is just so thoughtful and very, very research driven. Um, and I like his books too. The main way I learn business related things is by doing and by talking to smart people. I have been really lucky. I think one of the things that when I found Peak Community three or four years ago, I had never had a marketing community. I've always worked in startups. I've often been the person who knows the most about marketing in the startup. Even when I didn't know very much, I was still the person who knew the most. And I have found a, a group of people there, uh, you know, a small cohort of people that I can ask any question anytime, and then a much larger cohort of people um, that ha has just been phenomenal. And the way that I learn is I'm launching an ABM program. I go find five ABM experts in Peak and ask them if they'll give me 20 minutes of their time. And I ask them all my questions. And people love to, they love to give help. They really do. The right people love to give help. And I, I'm very generous with my time as well, right? So it's not just a one-sided thing. I, I also answer those requests. So that's the main way I learn, I think, on work-related things. I'm super similar, by the way. For me, the podcast is my learning um, mechanism. Uh, this podcast that you're all listening to, this is, this is yeah. me actively learning right yeah. now from you. And then when I'm listening to other things, it's, it's books on tape. It's not, yeah. it's fiction. Um, it's, it's other things to sort of expand that, in, you know, that other part of me. Um, I'm a huge reader. I love to read. And I was an English major in college. And I, one of the real sadnesses of being an English major was that I didn't have the energy to read yeah. for pleasure because I was reading so much for school. And so, um, I am not going to be reading like how to, I'm not going to be reading marketing books in my spare time. I just, I just, I just can't. So I'm a huge fiction fan. Um, I love, I jotted down some things. I love Barbara Kingsolver. I love John Irving. I love Kevin Wilson was a recent, um, he wrote the family Fang. He, he was a recent find for me, Margaret Atwood. I like a lot of different genres. Um, I have an 18 year old daughter and, we share a Kindle login. And so one of the things that's been kind of fun is anytime I download a book and I, I like to read books. I don't like to listen to books, but I read my Kindle. Um, anytime I download a book, Love she that. sort of will sift through and she reads some of them too. And then we can see like if she's highlighted something or if I've highlighted something or we'll talk about it later. Um, so that's been kind of fun. She's going to college next year. So I don't know if that will continue forever, but I've enjoyed that. Um, so real quick, you highlight in the, the fiction books too? What do you, what do you highlight? Um, if there's a sentence that I love that I thought was beautiful, a, an image that I thought was beautiful or a, a sentence sure. or a thought or yeah. anything that I just, that really struck me. Oh man, I love that. You know, I love to see, see what that, I bet you that is just some of the best writing, just phrases. I'm and... just going to see if I could find one for you really quick while we're talking to see if there's anything that is... I don't know if I can do it quickly. Um, well, no, I mean, I, cause I understand because I've definitely, you know, you highlight stuff in business books and it's kind of cool to see what other people highlight there. I yeah. get that, you know, and, but at yeah. some point everyone's highlighted everything there, but on the, on the. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's finding um, a book that I read recently. Eh, I'm not going to be able to find something that's amazing. That's I mean, I'm looking at a book that I have 12 highlights from. Here's one. Oh, cool. 50 years old. It's an impossible age in many ways. Not old, not young. Not old, no, but oh, not young. What is it? What it is, is being in the sticky middle, setting one gigantic thing aside in order to make room for the next gigantic thing, and in between, feeling the rush of air down the unprotected back of the neck. So that was something I highlighted wow. from a book called The Moon by Elizabeth Berg. I'm 47. Resonated with me. I have kids going to college. Just love the, love the quote. That's great. Exactly. That's, that's a great yeah. quote. You know what? So. I had a chance to um, meet uh, Ruth Ware. I don't know if you've read any of her. Um, she had a little book signing in Massachusetts. We went to. Uh -huh. yeah. uh, they're like they're like mystery, like Cabin Ten, the Zero, something. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I went with Tina. She was the fan, but like I, I she, 
and I was excited to sort of just go with her and meet someone that, that was well, well written. Man, what a, an amazingly nice person, right? Like just a brilliant person, nice person. Um, but yeah, it, it's those little moments when people can write those things. You're just, man, where did that come from? It's just so amazing when they just encapsulate that so well. Yeah. And then on the podcast front, I tried to write on a few that sure. I listen to that I think are a little less common than the one everybody listens to. Um, one is Ear Hustle, which is about life inside San Quentin, which I just find really fascinating. There's basically a, a visual artist went in and started a podcast with prisoners inside San Quentin, and they talk about what life is like in San Quentin prison. And I, I just think it's fascinating. Um, if Books Could Kill is a podcast I love where they take, they take very common self-help books and just kind of tear them apart, which I just find amusing sometimes. Yeah. I think there's like the tyranny of self-help, you know, some new book hits the stands. And so they'll start to talk about, you know, just, I haven't listened to the, the latest one yet, but they did it. They just did Atomic Habits, which I know everybody loves. I've never read that book. Um, Maintenance Phase is a podcast I really love that takes common um, diet and health myths and and talks about them and explores them and they're just funny. Um, and then Working It Out is a podcast by comedian Mike Berbiglia and he has on other comedians and they talk about their craft and they do wow. a little part of the podcast where they actually work on jokes. The idea together. of working on the jokes together and would be fascinating to hear that creative process, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like too funny. I mean, it's kind of like comedians in cars getting coffee. The idea behind it was just have two funny people hang out. And I think this is his version of that. Yeah. Um, uh, it would be funny to do the opposite. It. Two really boring people all hanging out together and just record it. <laughs> no. Not gonna I don't get know. I don't know if you're gonna get uh, greenlit for that one, Casey. <laughs> are we the are we us? the two fun people talking? About, you've heard it here, everyone. <laughs> the hardcore marketing show. Yeah. What if we are? Well, I guess what we would know. I, mean, I, I love that I'm quote when kidding. people are saying, like, "Hey, you know, if if you don't have that problem person in your life that you know comes to mind, it might be you." <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> it could be. Well, my next yeah, question exactly. really is related to that. Like, exactly. who are you? Who are you, Sarah? Take me back like little Sarah days. Did you always know you're going to be just this tour de force in like marketing leadership and all this? Little Sarah, what, what was she like? Well, she was bossy. That's for sure. I mean, I, yeah, for sure. I'm an oldest daughter, which I think is like an archetype. I'm the oldest of three and I definitely am bossy. My family calls me the puppet master. Because I'm like always like, I mean, and in fact, there's a shorthand in my family where they just do the marionette strings when I'm puppet mastering. I'll be like, okay, you're going to come for Christmas and you're going to do this and you're going to do this. And they just start to do this, like the, the marionette strings. And I'm like, okay, I'm puppet mastering. So for sure, I've done that since a young age. Um, no, you know, I didn't know that I wanted to yeah. do marketing. I don't know that anybody, any little kids even know what marketing is. I think my I lucked into my first job out. I was an English major in college and my, I told you I was going to tell you the joke my grandfather told me on the day I graduated from college, which is what does no. an English major what? say the day after graduation? Do you want fries with that? Jeez. Because as an engineer, his belief is that I would never do anything useful with an English degree. Um, but I, what I did was I really wanted to be in journalism and I, found that there was a local magazine and I thought if I work in advertising, that'll be my way in the door and I can start to write for the magazine. And it turned out to be the absolute last way to get in because most reputable magazines have a gotcha. absolute separation of church and state between advertising and editorial. And so, but it's how I got into marketing. So I, I mean, I was selling advertising um, for the first two years and was really, really good at it and got promoted. And at 23, I was managing a team, which was absolutely ludicrous. You know, as managing people that were 40 and 50 years old as a 23 year old, I mean, it did not go well. I'll just say it did not go well. Um, just because you're good at selling advertising at 22 does not mean you should be a boss at 23. Um, it was, it was, I mean, I learned a lot, but it, it I feel sorry for the people that I managed at that time. I'll say that. Um, and then 
you know, advertising was not great for me personally because I was in an environment where people cared a lot about who had the nicest car and who had the interior designer and who had the nicest stuff. And I think I was very susceptible to that, but it doesn't bring out the best in me. And and I kind of luckily had the awareness of that, that I was starting to care a whole lot about superficial yeah. things because I was surrounded by people who cared a lot about it. I shouldn't say advertising in general. I should say that job, which was a local magazine. It was very into who, you know, we were selling to the local restaurants and the local shops and this and that. It was like very into who went to the art opening and who did this and who did that. And so I uh, went to work for a, um, a PR firm okay. that was doing stakeholder management and environmental relations in DC and um, just had a lot of really great opportunities there. Um, had, I will say another thing of another piece of Sarah's career advice 101 is oh, hell yeah. having a terrible boss is a wonderful career opportunity in many ways. Um, your career. Um, I was working for someone who just didn't show up literally or metaphorically in any way. And it allowed me to really leapfrog ahead in my career. And from there, you know, one of our clients was a startup technology company. Um, I, I've always had a little bit of a specialty in startup tech companies that were founded by university yeah, professors, which is a really niche uh, area. But um, I like, it's just kind of worked out that way. You get a reputation in a certain area and, you know, professors that are starting companies start to talk. And um, But I really like the the content side of things and the thought leadership side of things. I like I like doing marketing for ideas as much as yeah. products. Ideas. And so it's been a nice as much as products. And 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 now you're into the idea. Ideas. Right? With GTM? Yeah. So I mean, I you know, I I went to go to market partners as an analyst firm, um, a, a mid market go to go to market analyst firm. And I was a VP of marketing at a technology company and went to one of their road shows and was just like mind exploded. So excited by all of their ideas. And like, I want to go implement these at my company. And uh, the CEO was not on board and uh, you know, for, for really anything outside of the box. And um, so I called the go-to-market partners team and was like, Hey, just let me know if you, have anything open? And they said, what are you looking for? And I said, well, you know, I really like, I really, really love content strategy. I really love thought leadership. I want to be a VP of marketing. And they were asking <laughs> me all these questions. And I realized sort of interviewing for the job. So it, it worked out. Um, and it's been great because I get to work with um, analysts who are thinking all the time about how to make go-to-market go better in an integrated strategic way across disciplines. And, you know, our stuff is based on this really cool combination of, I would say, I'm just testing this out. I haven't said this out loud yet, but I think it's a combination of like research. You know, we're asking people questions and, and getting data. Um, analyst experience. We have analysts that have done, have worked for some of the biggest, most successful companies. Um, and, and so what is their experience? And then what is their sort of thinking and best practice um, based on that experience? And so it's 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 really fun. You, I feel you're like I'm doing at the best work of my career. Ground zero really for the the results from those data points, right? You're and so yeah, I could it could either be super scary having all these experienced people with all this data around you, or could be super exciting if you have you're you're at Willy Wonka's chocolate factory and you can just play around with all the things. Yeah, I think that's, you hit the nail on the head. I do tend to sometimes over-rotate on, I was doing a, an ambassador kickoff call the other day and the fonts on one of my slides was wrong. And I'm like, oh my gosh, all these go-to-market people, they're going to notice this. I, I I can over-rotate on small things because I know everybody is such a professional. That's a tiny detail. But I do feel like, I mentioned before, I feel like I'm in mastery mode. I feel like I've been doing this work for a long time. I know how to be a VP of marketing. I'm not really learning like new tactics, but I am learning all yeah. the time. Like literally every day I'm learning something new um, about go to market, about the strategy, about the interplay at this particular moment in time of the particular tactics that we have. 
And I, I really think I can't imagine ever not learning. I, I, my second baby was born with a midwife who had 30 years of experience and had delivered something like 4,000 babies. And she told me that she still learned something new every single patient. And I just remember admiring that so much and just thinking like, that's what I want to be. I want to be learning forever about arguably a much less important <laughs> discipline than childbirth, but um, I want to be learning forever. Be in it, be in the action, but in a place where you can continue to learn. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I also have a boss who's one of the best marketers. I'm not used to having a CEO who knows anything about marketing. Yeah. And I have a boss in Sangram who is one of, you know, a, a world-renowned marketer. Mm -hmm. And so I've gone from being often, I mean, I would say 90% of the time in my career, I'm the person who knows about the most about marketing in the, in the leadership team to, you know, being able to work with someone who knows a lot. And that is fun and also sometimes not fun. You can imagine it's like, um, but mostly it's so exciting to learn from him and he has a million ideas. And sometimes I have to be like, okay, we're not doing a million ideas this week. We're, you know, we're holding back, but, um, it's, it's a really different position to be in. I think it's a different position. Most people are not, uh, not in that position of having a CEO who knows a ton about marketing. And you, you save all the time where we are always trying to convince people of like, the importance of it or the reason why we let's just exactly. do it right let's just save exactly. the the time and stop teaching you marketing let us do our jobs i think is what a lot of marketers tend to say um, yes exactly my next question for you is a bit of a hypothetical question because you see i may or may not have a time machine up in new hampshire so the next time you have a road show you come visit up in new hampshire it's it's in the backyard covered in a tarp right so get some beer get some lobster um and we go hang out in the time machine, but it's a yeah. special kind and you get to go visit yourself. And it's about four days after that English degree, you graduated, you got that English degree and you get to go visit that Sarah and you can have a conversation. You can chat for a little bit. What kind of things are you telling yourself? I mean, this is so funny because this is absolutely in line with every single other thing that I've said in this podcast. I've had the opportunity to talk to recent college grads and this is what I say is lean out. Don't get golden handcuffs so fast. Take some time. I basically got a real job making real money within three months of graduation. And if I had it to do over again, I think I would have taken some time traveling, working in coffee shops, being a little less stressed about getting my whole entire life started on the best possible career path from day one because it's really hard not, it's really hard to go back. It's really hard to go back. So, I mean, again, like I, that's probably not the advice that anybody wants me giving their kids when they graduate from college. It's like, relax, don't worry so much about getting a real job right away. But that's the reality of what I would tell myself. Makes sense. Cause as soon as you get the dog, now you gotta, somebody's gotta take care of the dog. And as soon as you get, add the kids and the, you get all the things. And yeah, I think sometimes we, we act according to some sort of framework out there that unintentionally we just sort of follow suit. Um, so I, I love your advice of leaning out, sell some coffee, travel the world. Yeah. My, my sister-in-law did that. She graduated and immediately moved to Portland and worked in a coffee shop for a year and then worked doing trail maintenance for a year as part of the AmeriCorps program. And, you know, then she, she, she has a job now. She has a life. She didn't, she didn't get stuck there forever. And I think she had some amazing experiences and I, I think it's a great, I think it's great to, to think about things that way. Love that. Uh, powerful, powerful advice from you. So with that, where can people connect with you? Where can they reach out to you, GTM, all the things? Um, the, you know, LinkedIn always, I'm the only Sarah Allen dash short on LinkedIn. I think um, I can find me there. Um, my email is sarah at gtmpartners.com. Feel free to reach out. Um, I'm always happy to have a conversation. Uh, you know, if you're facing any of these issues and you want to talk it through, I, like I said, I, I have a lot of people that I've met, you know, over the years that I've stayed in touch with from previous jobs and mentees and mentors that I talk to regularly and always happy to have a conversation. I think it's so generous of you to offer that. 
And we were talking earlier about the external. Like if you're that person that needs to just bounce it off of someone, do bounce it off someone. And send Sarah a note. That's exactly what we need to do is support each other in the community. We're also going to link to Pete in the show notes. People can click on through and, and get themselves a cohort and a family, really, of fellow marketers and, and GTM practitioners. Good yep. stuff. Good yep. stuff. Well, thank you so much for coming on here. I feel like time has literally warped by, like we have our own time machine. And but we've talked about so many things consider, considering the leadership of the company and the grind culture and all these different things. We've jammed this into a short episode, but I feel like this is really a shining star episode talking about what we need to really talk about in the marketing world. Thank you, Casey. Thanks for having me on and letting me uh, tell people to worry less and make less money, which is, you know, the opposite of what they hear just about everywhere else. So I yeah, mean, you know, God, I will God, tell God, you, be happy. Phone... Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I do think your phone doesn't tend to ring off the hook when you tell people, hey, talk to me if you want to learn to make less money and... <laughs> have a job you like more. Most people are, are going to be hunting down the people who say, here's how you make a million dollars fast. But that's just not not my jam right now, at least. And speaking of that, and, and someone asking you to smile more, those just listening, you can also see the video on YouTube. But Sarah, you've been smiling this entire time. So if there's any I proof mean, that you're having a hell of a good time, maybe that's it. I'm I'm generally a pretty smiley person when I'm having a good time and yeah. not answering stupid questions to your point. I really like what I do. I really like what I do. I've had times in my career where I've thought like, oh, I should be doing something else. I really like what I do. So oh. yeah, I smile a lot. Hell yeah, smile a lot. And for those listening, if you are also smiling from this episode and you learned something, and I freaking know you did because I literally have two pages of notes over here front and back. Then share this episode with someone, one person, three people, 9,000 people, whatever. But put your thoughts down. What did you get? What was your takeaway? Was it about the grind culture? Was it about the, the research experience, the best practices, GTM, peak? What was it? Throw that in there. Throw some comments. And we will all jump in there and, and engage and have a good conversation there. So with that, Sarah, thank you again. This has been a blast. Thank you, Casey. And I'm really looking forward to working with you on our podcast. I appreciate you helping us out with that. Heck yeah, me too. I'm sure we're going to get our next podcast call any day here. So yeah, I'm enjoying that project with you. And, and with that, thank you all for listening. This has been another crazy episode of the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will see you all next time.